about a year ago, we did a series called Not a Fan with our student ministry. And Tim and I talking a few weeks ago, he was going to be out of town. They're on vacation up at the lake, which good for them. They deserve it. And Tim and I talked about me just doing sort of a a two-week mini-series, if you will, on Not a Fan. Those of you who've never heard about Not a Fan, it's actually a a book that was written by a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, named Kyle Eidelman. And just the, the simple premise of the book is a call, you know, a very practical challenge for believers to move from being casual Sunday morning fans of Jesus, if you will, to everyday sold out followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. With that said, I just want to jump right into it this morning. And as we do that, I just want you to imagine with me, just, just picture this scenario, if you would. Imagine for a second that you're, you're sitting at Starbucks sipping your favorite latte beverage. Maybe some of you are like, I don't drink coffee or I don't like Starbucks. Okay, if that's you, then picture yourself at your favorite restaurant. Maybe your favorite restaurant is Crystal. <laughs> just out of curiosity now, it, raise your hand. If your favorite restaurant is Crystal, can I just see? <laughs> two, two of you in the back. Uh, just an honest confession I'm from the north. Since I've been in the south, I only ate crystal once, and let's just say it was an experience, and I haven't been back since. But but we won't judge you if that's your favorite place, because you're in church. You're in a safe place. But anyways, you're, you're sitting down, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see Jesus Christ himself walk in. He comes over to you. He sits down. He looks you in the eye. He says, it's time that we define this relationship. And before you know it, he starts just firing off a series of questions. He starts by asking you, is our relationship exclusive or is it just a casual once a week thing? Is this a lifelong everyday commitment or just a one-time decision? Do you really know me intimately or do you just know about me informationally? Whose kingdom are you really living for, mine or your own? At the end of the day, are you really my follower or are you just a fan? A fan, by definition, is an enthusiastic admirer. Sadly, I think our church today is more filled with fans than followers if you really look at it. Fans who show up week in and week out and applaud Jesus at a distance while never really following him up close. The only problem with that is that, at least throughout my own studies of the gospel, and my, my only conclusion is that Jesus was never ever interested in making fans. So to help all of us better assess now, you know, am I a fan or a follower? The first question I want us to examine today is this. Are you following Jesus or are you just following the rules? It was about two winters ago, I believe, I had the privilege to go support one of our students who was playing rec league basketball. Miss Jackie, I think you were there too. This was an important game. It was their last game of the season, and they had, at that point, they were 0-7, which 
By the way, if you don't speak sports lingo, that means they had lost every single game of the season. Now, this, this student, he's, he's actually here to protect his identity. I won't say his name, but he, does, he plays guitar over here to my right almost every week. But they, they had, it's their eighth and final game. They had put themselves in a position to win this last game. It came down to the final few seconds. The opposing team missed their opportunity to go ahead. They, they got the, the rebound. They called a timeout. They set up a play to win the game. And this play was designed for our student here. They executed perfectly the out-of-bounds play. This young man, he gets the ball, he takes it in, he weaves in and out of the defense, and he goes up for the go-ahead point, and all 15 of us in the Monroe Rec League just went crazy from the bleachers. Then all of a sudden, the whole crowd went silent because we realized that this young man scored the go-ahead point, but he scored it on the opponent's goal. I wish I was making this up. (laughs) But it's it's crazy looking back, bless his heart, as they say in the South, right? In the end, he made the right play, he executed, he he delivered, and he scored the go-ahead point, but he scored on the wrong goal. So I think for so many of us who've grown up at the church, or sorry, grown up in the church, you know, we've made it our aim to do the right thing all along, but all this time now, we've been aimed at the wrong goal. I think if I were to ask you this morning, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Many of you would respond, well, shoot, I'm a follower. I mean, I go to church. And for a lot of us, I think our intentions are right. I mean, it's not a question of effort or desire. I mean, you do. You show up faithfully. You try to do the right things. You try not to do the wrong things, but the fundamental problem that Jesus points out is that so many of us are aiming at the wrong target altogether. Instead of aiming at following Jesus, you aim instead at following the rules. As Tim laid out last week in his sermon, the Bible belt for so many of us has become the bondage belt. Yes, you might have been brought up in church, but that doesn't necessarily mean you were brought up in Christ. So many of us were convinced that God's love must be earned somehow through my consistent church attendance, through my good behavior, through my flawless performance, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, you've confused the targets. We're going to be studying out of Matthew chapter 23 now. And we're about to see that that Jesus is going to have a very serious define the relationship talk directed at the religious leaders of that day. And Jesus is about to speak to them in a very eye-opening way, which to me is interesting because growing up in church as a kid, I always kind of just pictured Jesus as like a, a Jewish version of Mr. Rogers. But that certainly is not the case as we're about to see in Matthew chapter 23. So looking at the religious leaders, it seemed on the outside that these were the guys who had their stuff together. I mean, these guys literally devoted their entire lives to mastering the scriptures. By age 12, they would have memorized the first 12 books of the Bible. By age 15, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament. They were especially known, though, for their strict observance of the Mosaic Law. Let's take one of the Ten Commandments, for example. 
We, we all know one of the commandments is, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, these guys would take it to the next extreme. If, if they happen to be out to eat at Sunday brunch after church and accidentally spilled their sweet tea, guess what they would do? They would refuse to clean up the spill so as not to violate God's fourth commandment. And these guys were extreme. So if following the rules was the target, then these guys hit the bullseye every single day. But yet again, the problem, according to Jesus here, is that they were aimed at the wrong target altogether. Following the rules kept them focused on the outside. It was all about behavior and performance to earn the applause of everybody else. But you see, Jesus, he saw right through it. He knew that who they appeared to be on the outside didn't match up at all with who they really were on the inside. In Matthew 23 now, Jesus is about to draw the line in the sand. We'll read in verse 1 that Jesus is actually speaking directly to his disciples and the crowds. So understand, Jesus, he's speaking to a people who culturally had experienced and seen so much bondage and corruption in the name of religion. This is why I believe Jesus opposes so strongly these religious leaders because he doesn't want the people to confuse following the rules for following Jesus. So for us, as, as we diagnose fandom, if you will, am I really a fan or am I truly following Jesus? The question to ask yourself is, are you more focused on the outside than you are the inside? Starting in verse 1 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They preach, but do not practice. Let's stop here for a second. The, the problem Jesus points out is very simple. The religious leaders of that day were hypocrites. What they taught didn't match up at all with who they really were on the inside. These were the guys who attended all the church services and knew all the Bible verses, but failed to obey God's greatest command, which is to love. These were the guys who prayed the longest prayers while their hearts were furthest from God. These were the guys who gave 10% and some, but shut their hearts to the poor and needy. These were the guys who lived not for the approval of God, but the applause of man. Maybe I just described you. We're going to see here today that Jesus had very harsh words for those trying to impress and intimidate others with their religious credentials. However, please understand that Jesus is just as tender, just as patient, just as loving with those of us who have truly surrendered our hearts to him. Understand, Jesus, he's not looking for sinlessness, but he is looking for sincerity. After all, though, if he expected his followers to be perfect, then he wouldn't have any. Hello, somebody? I mean, if, if you really get honest, and I'll be honest with myself, we're all, to some degree, recovering hypocrites. I mean, I was 
as I was preparing this, thinking of all the examples that I'm, I'm still hypocritical at times. And, and one just really jumped out at me. It was actually last summer, I think. I was sharing with y'all in big church, and I was speaking on the compassion of Jesus Christ. And I remember a lot of you guys came up to me after the sermon and were giving me some kudos, like, man, that was a great message on compassion. I'm not gonna lie. I felt really good about myself. Like, Trevor, man, you, you really got this compassion thing down, man. Like, good job. I'm driving home that day and then all of a sudden I just get this knot in my stomach. And some of you might know what that is, but that, that was me getting hangry. Nobody knows what that is. That's, it's, it's what happens when you get really hungry. Some of us become a different person. We start getting really angry. So here I am, I've just preached a message on compassion and, and now I'm, I'm really struggling with, with this just anger inside of me. And I show up, I get home and my wife's in the kitchen. She says, Trevor, it'll be about 10 minutes until lunch is ready. And me and my lack of compassion said, what do you mean lunch isn't ready? I, I'm a newlywed people, okay? So have a little grace with me. We'll just say that didn't go over well and it was, it was a learning experience for me. But just the, <laughs> the irony of the moment though, I mean, I had literally just preached this message about the compassion of Jesus and how Jesus' compassion, he was literally moved in his bowels, the scriptures say, with compassion to the point of action. And, and there I was, literally moved in my bowels with hunger to the point where I was terrible to my wife for no legitimate reason. But the, the point I think we all need to see, though, is that if, if you expect to show up to church without encountering any hypocrites, it's like trying to show up to the gym without encountering any out-of-shape people. Let's all have a little grace with each other. See, hypocrisy by definition is simply the act of pretending. So if you really desire to be an authentic follower of Jesus, understand you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to stop pretending. The invitation is available to every single one of us. Jesus invites you to come as you are and lay the mask down. Whatever your struggle is, whether it's pride, lust, bitterness, addiction, insecurity, self-hatred, etc., etc., understand God knows you as you are with all your flaws and failures, with all of your scars and shortcomings, and he loves you as you are. However, what is denied cannot be healed. So to ask a few questions to help every one of us better assess where we're really at in our relationship with God, the first question I wanna ask is, do you choose guilt over grace? Let's read verse four now. Jesus says, talking about the religious leaders. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to move them with their finger. I remember in high school chemistry class, one day I showed up and the teacher told us we were gonna have a pop quiz. That's, that's never a good feeling. So I get, I get the quiz and in the directions it says, make sure you read the whole quiz before you start the quiz. So I, I decided to follow the directions and I'm reading through it. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really going to fail this. And all of a sudden I get down to the last question. It says, you can put your name at the top of this quiz to receive an A. What would you guys do in that moment? 
Just making sure we're all on the same page. In my finest cursive handwriting, T-R-E-V-O-R, there it is, A. The, the crazy thing, though, is that there was one girl in our class, she got a little ticked off. She was one of those girls, if you will, she was a, a rule follower by nature. She was a very smart and capable student, and she got upset that all of us could earn an A on that test without doing anything. So she decided she was going to take the test and earn the A. She still missed the mark. That was the only time I got a better grade than she did in chemistry. But it's funny because for me, that is the difference between guilt and grace. For the rule-following Pharisee, they insisted, I'm not going to take any free handouts. I can do this on my own, and you need to do the same. In verse 4, Jesus speaks of guilt as a literal weight that the Pharisees carried around and therefore forced others to carry by making a relationship with God all about the rules. As soon as this whole thing becomes about the rules and not the relationship, then it's pretty much guaranteed that guilt is going to be the primary motivator. And guilt is never, ever a good motivator, really, in any circumstance, because guilt just tells you what you should do or what you ought to do. It never tells you why you should do it or even how. And maybe, it, maybe that's you. You've been in church now for, for some time, more years than you can count, but you've just been carrying around this consistent burden on your shoulders and it's just heavy more than you can bear for so long now you've been trying to do the right thing trying to follow the rules to, to live up to to some standard that you've set yet no matter how hard you try you continue to fall short it seems like you never measure up and you find yourself just crippled with this weight of guilt Earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to serve in Gwinnett County on jury duty. It's kind of, kind of scary that they entrusted me with somebody's future. But anyways, it, it, was, it was a pretty interesting experience. And during one of our breaks, I was, I was talking with a man. He was about in his 50s. And he was telling me about his, his home life, telling me about his, his family life, his, his work life. And then all of a sudden, he started to talk about church. He was a pretty solid believer raised in church, but I noticed his countenance just completely changed the moment he started to talk about church. It's like all of a sudden you could just see this weight of guilt just come upon him. And I remember him telling me just how busy he was trying to balance work life and family life. And he just, he felt so guilty. He said, you know, I know I, I need to be more involved in the church. And I, I know that I need to be doing more, but it just feels like no matter how much I do, I, I never do enough. And I just looked at him right there, and I'm like, sir, with, with all due respect, like, how, how do you even define enough? And he thought about that, and he, he didn't really have an answer. He didn't say anything. So I, I asked him, I'm like, what, what if what Jesus Christ did for you and me on the cross was enough, period? The fact that we don't have to do something big for God, that God has already done something big for us. And maybe we just need to learn to rest in that. I think when we really get that, then we can start to live out of the sufficiency of the finished work of the cross. So that anything we do or don't do flows not out of a deficit in our hearts, but in an overflow in our hearts. 
the, the problem, though, when it becomes about the rules and not the relationship is that we can never do enough. We can never be good enough, whatever that is. We all know that God is perfectly holy. Therefore, even on your best day, you fall eternally short of his perfect standard. But this is precisely where the beauty of the gospel comes in. While guilt says do, the gospel says done. The gospel says done. God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took our punishment upon him at the cross. He bore our guilt upon his own shoulders once and for all. The cross is enough, period. So fans are all about the do, but followers celebrate the done. The second question I want to ask now is, do you choose laws over love? We're going to jump down to verse 23 now. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So when it came to the letter of the law, they were experts, but they completely missed the spirit of the law. That is, they followed God's commands to the T, but completely missed out on God's heart behind the commands. And God's heart behind his commands is for relationship with him. We see this example in verse 23 where they got so caught up with just the minute details of the law that they just completely missed the bigger picture. Jesus is saying here, it's like, yeah, you, you get so caught up, you tithe your grain, your wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your flocks, but then you take it to the next extreme by even setting aside a tenth of your household spices. And he doesn't really condemn it here. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with this, but what he's saying is that you're completely missing the point because you're so caught up with the little details, so the question to ask yourself is, are you so caught up with the do's and don'ts of Christianity that you've missed the biggest do of them all, and that is to love? See, if you've been missing the bigger picture, if you've been aiming at the wrong target, and it's, it's not too late for, for us to change directions right now. For me, I believe it all, it all does come back to our concept of who God is. A.W. Tozer said it best. He said, there's nothing more important about you than your concept of God. I think for a lot of you, if I were to ask you the question, do you believe that God loves you? Most of us would raise our hands and say yes, because theologically we have to say yes, right? But what if I were to ask you, do you believe that God likes you? He's, he's fond of you. When God thinks about you, what kind of thoughts does God think? For so many of us, we think like he's just up there thinking like, oh, great, here we go again. He woke up another day. This should be interesting. Let's see how bad he screws it up this day. Let's see how bad she mistreats her family this day. If only they could just get their act together, then maybe they'd be a little more lovable. 
No, that's not what he thinks. Remember the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Understand God loves you not because you're perfectly lovable, but because he is perfectly loving. I'll never forget one of the most impactful sermons that I've ever listened to by Brennan Manning. He got to the end of his sermon and he said, after countless hours upon hours and just studying God's word and through prayer and meditation, I'm convinced that on the day that you and I see Jesus Christ face to face, he'll ask us just one question. The question he asks us won't be, how many church services did you attend? How much did you give? How many hours did you spend serving? No, the one question he will ask you is, did you really believe that I loved you? Whether that's true or not, I think it's something for all of us to think about. Because if you really get that, if you really internalize it, then and only then will we be able to fulfill God's greatest commandment to love. As the Apostle John lays out in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. The last question I want to ask this morning is number three, do you choose rules over relationship? Verse 25 now. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So once again, they got so caught up on external obedience that they missed their own desperate need for internal transformation of the heart. They got so caught up with trying to follow the rules that they missed out on the relationship that was available to them through the Messiah they had now rejected. I do think it's important for us not to downplay the importance of obedience in all of this. After all, Jesus says himself in Matthew seven sixteen that you shall know them by their fruits. He's saying that you and I will recognize a true believer essentially by the life that they live. However, I think the, the point Jesus makes here in Matthew 23 is that true, authentic obedience flows from the inside out. Jesus teaches this in, in John 14, 15. If you love me, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. Because we've been so greatly loved in everything we do, the aim of our lives should be at bringing pleasure and bringing honor to our God, and in return, we experience a joy unlike anything else. But the, the point is, what we do or don't do as believers should simply flow out of what Christ has already done. Right relationship with God then vertically leads to right living horizontally. But I think the, the point is simple. You can't obey God without God. You can't truly obey God without God. And I think Jesus speaks so strongly against these rule-loving Pharisees because he, he realizes that if, if it's all about the rules and not the relationship, that eventually people are going to end up walking away from them both. Brilliant Christian apologist 
Ravi Zacharias puts it this way. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. For me, unfortunately, as a little kid growing up in church, this was my story. I grew up in Warsaw, Wesleyan, a strict conservative church in northern Indiana. And even at a very early age, there was just this divorce between my head and my heart. My understanding as a little kid was that Christianity was just all about following the rules. Be a good kid, do the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, that didn't go over too well with me because I was never by nature much of a rule follower. Looking back on the years of rebellion in my life, I I do think a lot of it was just simply out of spite. However, thankfully, my own rebellion would eventually lead me to the end of myself. And at age 22, in my just utter desperation, I cried out to God for rescue. And in that moment, the love of Jesus Christ just completely bypassed my head and ambushed my heart. In that moment, I had no clue what it would really look like to live out the Christian life. But I did know in that moment that I was radically loved and accepted by my Savior. And for me, that was enough. But you see, fans focus on following the rules in order to earn God's love. Their rule keeping is ultimately driven by pride. But followers focus their relationship with God by reckless confidence and surrender to a source greater than themselves. To close, what we need to see is that following Jesus starts on the inside. Following Jesus starts on the inside. Jesus says it in verse 26. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So for a moment, I just, I ask you, just forget about the outside of your cup. Forget about how long you've been in church, how long you've been a Christian and ask yourself, have you dealt with the inside of your cup? Have you dealt with the inside of your heart? Tim, just so beautifully last week, talked about godly sorrow. Have you experienced that kind of heartfelt misery that led led you to just raw confession of the deeper issues in your heart, which in turn led you to a cleansing and just an inner transformation of your heart as you entered into a relationship with God? For some of you, I think you need to repent not only of your sin, but your faulty sense of righteousness. Please understand the beauty of the gospel today. That Jesus himself took your guilt so that you could be made right by his grace. Jesus fulfilled the law so that you could rest in his love. Jesus lived a sinless life so that you and I, in all our sinfulness, could enter into a redeeming relationship with our God. The invitation of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? 
Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. We're in the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So the invitation is available to every single one of us. Come to Jesus now as you are. His arms are wide open. Trade out your crippling grace for his, or sorry, your crippling guilt for his liberating grace. Trade out your futile law keeping for his perfect love. Trade out your tireless rule keeping for a life giving, soul satisfying relationship with the one from whom you were made. God is dying to be with you. As a matter of fact, he died to be with you. I pray that today's word encouraged you, and thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.